Hello and welcome to the Rice Historical Review podcast. My name is Eddie Plout. I am your host, and I'm here today with co-editor-in-chief of the Rice Historical Review, Mr. Darren Pomita, a senior at Will Rice College, a history and political science double major, and the smartest man at Rice University. Stop. (laughs) And today we're going to be talking about some of Darren's work over the course of the past semester, summer, and going into this school year on his history honors thesis. Darren's topic and work that he's done so far on the thesis is very interesting, and we wanted to talk to him about it today. So, Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I think your accolades are a little off the mark, but I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm... I'm still okay. You know, here at the Rice Historical Review, we aim to please, okay? as, as you might know. Yes, um, yes. So, Darren, uh, in your time at Rice, I know uh, as a function of the Rice History Department and the requirements for your degree here, we study a lot of different areas of history, time periods, et cetera. Um, but what sort of general areas of history have really uh, you have you been most engaged with that you've shown the most interest in? I know Filipino history is a big part mm. of your studies here at Rice. Yeah. I actually came to Filipino history through a long and um, sometimes tumultuous process of really thinking of what history do I want to focus on. I came into Rice really wanting to do German history. I've done a lot of German history work, but frankly, I didn't really want to invest so much time in learning German. And the good thing is that here at Rice, we do have a lot of German history courses. Dr. Caldwell is a professor who teaches a lot of German history courses, Dr. Wildenthal. Dr. Zamito teaches a little bit of German intellectual history. So it's not that difficult to really engage yourself without learning the language. But obviously, if you really want to do in-depth research in the topic, you do need to learn the language, as with many national histories or language-centered histories. And so I started thinking about other things. And the good thing about Rice is that As you said, we do have a plethora of different courses. I've taken a lot of classes in American history, particularly 18th century American history, 18th and 19th century American history, I mean. And frankly, we also have a great Asian history department. Dr. Barlow, Dr. Shimitsu have been very influential in my studies in the Asian history aspect of the department. And so I got to Filipino history by the simple fact that I've always been interested in the history of my my family, right? I'm a I'm the son of two immigrants to the United States. I'm also technically an immigrant to the United States, and my Filipino roots have never really disappeared. And so, really, learning my history has taken a special significance over the past few years. And so, when I really tried to think about what do I want to focus my studies on over the next few years, and perhaps after. Um, my studies here at Rice, I really wanted to do Filipino history. All right. So I think that's a perfect transition into your topic for your thesis. Uh, yes. Could you give us a sort of a brief overview of what your topic plans to discuss and why you sort of came up to choosing this topic? Okay. So I'm going to tell you what my general topic idea is. And I know it's going to be very confusing the very beginning, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'll try to sort of explain along the way, maybe perhaps um, while I'm explaining it, give some Detail with, Fill in the gap. Fill in the gap with very important, critical aspects of mm-hmm. Filipino history. Mm-hmm. So I am looking at Spanish legal documents in opium farms in order to find out the relationship between Chine- the Chinese migrant population and the Spanish state and the native population to better understand the rise of the Chinese in the Philippines. Obviously, I need to sort of like back up here. Like, why am I? Why, why, what are these all these different characteristics? Not these different characteristics, but these different 
things? Like, how do they all relate to each other? So what happened was I was in Dr. Barlow's modern China class. And what was it? It was History 236, I believe. And I, I have a great fascination with Chinese history, but it wasn't really something that I wanted to write a paper about. And so given the fact that I've, I'm really passionate about Filipino history, I went to Dr. Barlow and said, is there something about Filipino history that I can discuss? And one of the things that we came to is sort of the transnational history of Chinese migration. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very rich topic that is relevant not only to Filipino history, but also to Singaporean history, to Indonesian history, Southeast Asian history in general, and even here in the United States. And heck, even some random places in the Caribbean or South Africa. Uh, so there's a lot of literature there. But in my studies with Dr. Barlow, I realized that Filipino historians don't really focus on that topic and that even those who do don't focus on a single aspect of it, which I found very interesting. And that is the opium trade, because if you look at the documents and I will discuss the, the research that I did, um, the sort of the nitty gritty de- details of it. But if you go to the primary documents, what you see is incontrovertible evidence that there was a strong link between the opium trade and Chinese migration to the point where you will not see one without the other. Mm-hmm. The story of, of the Chinese issues with opium did not happen in a vacuum. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Not just a transnational or not just a national vacuum, but also like an economic vacuum. And so that's sort of the genesis of my research and so what I was able to do after Dr. Barlow's class was go study abroad in Singapore. And I do recommend um, if you have the opportunity to study abroad because it just offers you, regardless of how good your school is, and Rice has a very good program, regardless of all of that, it offers you new perspectives on things that you just cannot see perhaps in this country or perhaps special programs. And I know, Eddie... Plus, it's, it's very fun. It's just absolutely go, very fun being abroad. able to travel. Go abroad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I went to I went to Singapore. I, I took a class in Chinese migrations with one of the up-and-coming professors in the field, Dr. Sengo Chan. And also one of the professors um, he's worked with is Dr. Wang Gongwu, who is the great person who studied um, uh, Chinese migrations in, in a transnational context. And so I was able to get the, some of the best um, new research and new uh, ways of understanding Chinese migrations. But again, the same problem that I faced when I was here in the United States remained. And that is that regardless of where I went, the literature that exists on Chinese migration in the Philippines and even opium in the Philippines is very limited. And so... I went to the Philippines over the summer really to address sort of this gap in the research, the lacuna in the fact that they don't really talk about Chinese history. And even if they do talk about Chinese history in the Philippines, opium's not really present. So what sort of arguments are you going to try and make in this thesis, Darren? Well, I guess beyond just sort of the historiographic things that I think is very important, I think the thesis that I am trying to either prove or disprove is this what I term as the bifurcation thesis in, in the Chinese population in the Philippines. Essentially, this is argued by two major works, one by Edgar Vickberg in 1965 in a book, Chinese and Philippine Life, and also continued on by other authors. There is this, what, is it, what it essentially is saying is that because of economic changes in the 
uh, Chinese Filipino population. There are different directions that this population took, and the primary determinant of those different directions is when they arrived in the Philippines. I'm glossing over a huge aspect about Spanish identity making, but for the purposes of this current question, essentially what happened is that identity, or before that, essentially what happened is that the Spanish made really a, a great deal about what identity you are, and so if you were if you migrated to the Philippines. Right before, or at the very early stages of the period of Great Migration, at the end of the 19th century, you would essentially be more integrated with the native population. It is this sort of uh, mestizo, the Spanish, or sorry, the Chinese mestizo population is what they call it, that became the foundation of a Filipino. Identity. Filipino is, of course, a term invented or created really in the 19th century. But for those who arrived later, around 1850, 1860, when the Chinese population in the Philippines really started to grow, those people became sort of the common enemy of the, the Chinese mestizos, the native population, and even the Spanish Filipino population that chose to. Sort of side the chose to side against, uh, I guess the, the the current state, and another critical thing to note about this is that the reason for this bifurcation is because of the fact that the Chinese migrants that were coming in at the later point of the 18th century or 19th century were taking over a lot of industries that the Chinese mestizos were. Really, that they they were already settled in, and so trade, for example, transition from Chinese mestizos to this new Chinese migrant population. Farming became something that the Chinese mestizos eventually settled into, and so, long story short, there became two different economic trajectories that divided the Chinese population. So, what I'm trying to do is. Looking at legal documents to see whether this bifurcation really manifested itself, whether this is really all economically based, right? Are there other forces in play that's causing this bifurcation, and or does this bifurcation really exist in legal documents? We don't really. It is something that I I honestly don't think that I will see because I've I've, I've looked at some of them while while doing、uh, while while gathering the evidence. It doesn't seem to be the case at this point, but over time, I guess, like once I actually dig through a bunch of these cases, a bunch of these documents, perhaps there, a case can be made. But at this point, it doesn't seem to be supportive of this、uh, of this argument.、Hmm. I think that's actually a great transition into what I I think our next topic will be was the research that you've done so far. And if there's any sorts of languages you were working in, where you were able to go, any cool things you're able to do abroad while doing your research, obviously the Rice History Department does a lot to help promote this. But could you explain to our listeners the, the wide range of sources you've been working with and where you're able to do it? So when I was abroad in Singapore,、um, I realized that this would be the absolute best time to think about doing this research. And so during spring break. Instead of going to Bali or going to a beach in Southeast Asia, I actually went to the Philippines and spent two days at the National Archives to see 
if they even had anything. To my surprise, the, my problem wasn't the fact that there were no sources. The problem was that there were so many sources, primary sources available. The reason is because the Spanish collected a lot of tax dollars or tax money from the opium trade. And so this became a very important a lot of the documents that were created were essential for them to run these opium farms or anfions, uh, as they call it in the Philippines. And there are a lot of files based on the location, right? Different parts of the Philippines had different huge collections of anfions files. And in these documents that I spent like two and a half months really digging through, There are so many different types of things that you can see there. The obvious ones are the long cases, people presenting evidence. But in those evidence, you see variety as well. You have tax documents there to prove whether someone was actually legally doing something. You have customs documents to show evidence of when opium was imported to the Philippines. You have depositions by people either related to uh, related to those being accused or those actually involved in the trade. And so what you have is just, it is legal documents per se, but it's you get a wide slice of information that I'm grateful to have because it is, it, 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 I'm, I'm going to admit that this topic is very specific. And so being able to find like documents that are, available that relates to my topic directly was a surprise. Is there an element of information overload? Oh, though? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The thing that I, when I was leaving the Philippines, my biggest regret was not getting enough sources, <laughs> right? And the reason I'm saying that is because, or I'm saying that despite the fact that I had around 1,200 images on my phone and on a USB drive, Half of them are in the Philippines right now. My my bad. (laughs) Um, I came away with a thousand images. But even then, those were a small portion of all the documents available. And a lot of the documents aren't really that well cataloged. Mm -hmm. And so there were many times when I was opening sort of a book. And I was the first person in years to open it. Because you can see how... Like if you open it, like all the ink is like sticking together. So it's like it's these are really old documents that some people have read through them. But it's the 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 fact that they haven't been well cataloged meant that I'm probably looking at documents that I'll be the only one for a very long time to read them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, information overload in a sense that there's a lot of documents out there. But I guess at the end of the day, like the thing that I always remind myself is I'm a human, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm also writing a BA thesis, an honors thesis. I'm not writing a PhD dissertation where I have a long time Mm -hmm. to. You're not going through, you're not going to go find every single record. Yeah, my goal is just to sort of say, like, based on the evidence I have, this is the best argument I have to put forward. Do you think there was a moment of sort of almost a moment of clarity, like an epiphany moment where you're looking through these records that you know, you realize as you're pulling stuck pages together one after the other that no one really has ever done this before? Have you had a moment like that where you think about the, because obviously the goal of the even the BA thesis here is to do a, an element of original research. Mm. But it sounds like what you're doing is not just ori- like tr- original in terms of 
like content in terms of argument, but also original really in terms of like like completely unventured territory in terms of sources as well. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't want to overstate what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I These are, I, I guess the thing that's different about my um, search is that I'm focusing on the documents themselves, mm-hmm. right? Very few historians have really gone through and used the sources as their main, main mm-hmm. source. To look no, for the trends in those Yes, things. they look for things like, oh, I'm looking at what the Chinese, where the Chinese were, locations, or I'm looking at interactions between a specific group of Chinese or another because the, the, the archives are also used as sort of tracing back family roots. So that's another part that they were focused on, but not for sort of the questions I'm asking, mm-hmm. right? And I, this is because, again, as I said earlier, no one really has asked sort of this question in the Philippine context, mm-hmm. right? Opium and Chinese. Some works have been done on a broader scale, right? I, I know for a fact there's a person from the University of the Philippines, a, a professor, um, who's done sort of, what is the term for that? Taxes for gambling and opium, mm-hmm. but not specifically for my subject. So yes, I, I'll say this though. There is this feeling of pride, this weird feeling mm-hmm. of pride. It's like, I'm going to be the only person in a long time who's going to have, who's, who's privy to this information because I'm the one of the few people who actually care to grab those sources. A lot of people are aware these sources exist, but not, are not asking the questions I'm asking. And so it's sort of like I, there's a task in my hand to do something with this that no one else will, right? That's the beauty of original research in history. It's very individual. Mm-hmm. There's an individual satisfaction that I don't think that you get in a lot of other fields. And once you actually do archival work by yourself alone, hours on end, you start to value sort of, sorry, not value, but you start to realize how the work that you're doing is so special. Mm -hmm. No one else is going to do it. And so, yeah, I, I know I, I know I blabbered on a little too much. For it, but it, no, that was cool. But it's true. It's true. Like, uh-huh. What we're doing is something that very few other people would care about. Yeah, is there really is a like a truly endearing quality to the like to the going through the files and archives. So, Darren, it sounds like a lot of this research you were doing abroad through the archives while you're in while you were in Singapore, sort of going from um, tome to tome of. Uh, Spanish tax records. Does this run up a, a bill? Like how how do you able to pay for this? Is this you, is there a secret oh, um, chest of gold you're not telling us about, Darren? No, no, no. Um, first, like again, it was very it was easier for me to do this because I was abroad already. Mm-hmm. And again, Bryce has great programs abroad. I'm not just doing this to plug all these programs. I'm also like I'm I'm legitimately very grateful about all of these opportunities that we have here in this university. Study abroad, again, as Eddie and I will say, mm-hmm. in perhaps not just this podcast, but other <laughs> podcasts, it's one of the best experiences you can get because you can get a different perspective on history and a different perspective on learning. But also, it allows you to travel somewhere else. And I took that opportunity to travel somewhere that's only four hours away. Manila was only four hours away from Singapore. And so the flights were cheap. It was not that big of a deal. And also the fact that I have family in the Philippines. It helps a lot if I, when, when I was able to cut down costs by living with my aunt. And it also allowed me to sort of understand my personal relationship with the field. But also 
one thing that was so valuable to me was getting funding from the Rice History Department. Initially, I wasn't going to ask for funding because I, I thought it would be easy to do it on my own because standard of living or cost of living is very low over there. So it wasn't really that big of a burden. But the funny thing that happened in June was that the National Archives building burned down. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not the building where the documents were, were being held, but the, the administrative building. And so, in Manila. In Manila, yes. It's far away. The documents are fine. Nothing, they weren't touched. The problem is, like, a lot of the administrative stuff, the administrative people could not go to work. The computer, whatever computer systems that they had there were down, so we couldn't really access it. So they were closed for around two weeks. And it was awful timing because it was closed for the first week of June. The second week of June has a bunch of holidays in the Philippines. It's Philippine Independence Day, or it was Philippine Independence Day. And it was also um, Eid, I, I'm going to, I think it's Eid Mubarak or something yeah, Eid like Mubarak, that. Yeah, Eid Mubarak, yeah. And so second week is gone. So I lost two weeks. That meant I only had, what, two weeks of research in the Philippines left when I initially planned to have like four or five weeks to do it. Like a full month at least. Exactly. Yeah. And so I sent off this email to, uh, I, I tried to do my best in the beginning for two weeks. <laughs> and then I sent off this email to uh, Dr. Polnitz saying like, you know, the archives burned down. I kind of want two extra weeks here. Is there anything that the department can help me with? And thankfully, uh, the department has the, the Gruber Fund, mm-hmm. which is a very valuable research because it allows us history thesis writers, but also other interested uh, researchers to really pursue our passion because this is n- history research overseas is not a cheap prospect at all. Traveling alone is a significant investment that a lot of us would not be able to do. And even if you are, it's it's such a big burden mm-hmm. that it would just make doing research difficult. Yeah, it's very funny that you tell me. I had never heard this story <laughs> about it burning down. We were at a lunch uh, last week yeah. for the, the Honors History thesis writers and to meet with Dr. Bowles and Dr. Pullins and kind of sit down and eat together and talk about our projects and our summers, et cetera. And um, Dr. Pullnitz sort of brought up in passing, like helping to pay for some cost that Darren needed to help with. And I, I, and it didn't, it didn't seem significant at the time, but the entire, like an archive burning down in Manila, That's that's something else. It, it was it, it, <laughs> unexpected. Actually, what was happening, I don't know if I'm going to share, share this podcast, but what the heck. Uh-huh. Um, what was happening was I was taking a vacation from Singapore. I was taking the month of May off mm-hmm. um, to relax and sort of prepare myself to be able to do a lot of this, this research. Um, and so I got this email from my cousin in, during breakfast at, my, at the resort I was staying at. Mm-hmm. And it said, you got to read this. And it said about, like, last night, the, the, the archives burned down. <laughs> and so I was just like, did I really come all the way to the Philippines to try to find some archives that will not exist anymore? Thankfully, it wasn't that bad. Uh-huh. And I was able to sort of get that out of my mind while I was um, enjoying yeah. the beautiful beaches of the Philippines. Better than, like, on the, you're on the tarmac. Like exactly. You just got your service back. I, <laughs> By oh the way, God. Darren, the archives are burned down. Yeah, no, it was... I, I was just like I was able to brush it off, like use the fact that it was a I was in a beautiful um, resort over there to sort of calm myself down. But it was I remember going back to Manila. It's like okay, 
what on earth happened? <laughs> Thankfully, it was like, it's not that big of a deal. It's only like a two week or a one week closure to get everything sorted. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those weird, weird adventures that happened uh, during my summer that I wanted to do more research. I just said, hey, can I extend my my, my stay here until August? Uh, <laughs> so, I'm yeah. glad you did. It sounds like a <laughs> worth Absol- the worth the while. Absolutely. I, there were so many things I wasn't able to get the first time around that I was able to get to. Mm-hmm. And I was very glad for that. I was also able to go to Chinese archives and the, the diocese archives, but those weren't really as promising. But regardless, mm-hmm. I was able to get through a lot of documents. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that about does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Darren. <laughs> I know you'll be a frequent guest here. Make sure to stick around to listen to future episodes of the Rice Historical Review. Learn about all of the different honors thesis topics that our program is going to be writing this year, all of the great things the Historical Review is going to be working on. And make sure to check out the third edition of the Rice Historical Review from last spring. It should be on our website as a downloadable PDF. And check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks a lot.